Welcome to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group, the podcast for tech industry leaders and aspiring leaders who want to help their companies execute faster. As always, we're virtual. Maybe one of these days we should do one in uh, in the first person. That would be interesting. Uh, the weather here is glorious in Buckinghamshire after a foggy start. Vicky, how's weather in deepest dark Oxfordshire? Who have we got on today? The weather here is also glorious. I can just see blue sky, which is marvellous to see. Although it's a little bit chilly, but it feels nice and crisp out there. Um, So today we have a very special guest. We have Dr. Carrie Goucher. And this is only the second time that we've had a doctor on the podcast. And the podcast we are going to call This Meeting Should Have Been a Podcast. And the reason for this is because the focus for Carrie is around meetings and she is on a mission to change meeting culture. And considering we spend so much of our working lives in meetings, I think this is going to be a fascinating subject to drill into. So I can't wait to get started. Fantastic. Welcome, Carrie. Perhaps you could start by giving us a little bit of an intro to yourself, your background, how you became an expert in meetings and why you're here to change meeting culture. (laughs) Of course. Thank you for having me. My work has always been about helping companies to collaborate better. So looking at things like culture and relationships and ways of working and helping companies to build an adult to adult culture. So I did that for about um, 18 years in my own agency. And throughout that time, I worked with companies like Google and Microsoft, Pepsi, most of Big Pharma, lots of scale-ups, all of whom were pursuing that kind of constellation of cultural desirable qualities. So um, lean thinking, um, trying to become more agile, trying to be more high trust, high performance, a coaching leadership style, that whole bundle of things that lots of companies are, are moving towards. But the massive sticking point for all of them was meetings. And I remember somebody saying to me very clearly after I'd given them a proposal about their culture project was, if you're going to change our culture, you have to start with our meetings. We can't do anything until we get out of these long back-to-back meetings where time is wasted and we're not moving forward with things that matter to us. And I love doing all the cultural work that we did and leveraging all these interesting domains to help companies move into the collaborative era. Um, And I couldn't understand why all that thinking evaporated when it came to meetings, except in a couple of brilliant companies I worked with who modelled it really well. And um, Unboxed was one of them. And I'm not a very patient person. So I found sitting in slow or unfocused meetings really, really frustrating as well. So I got really, really interested in meetings and then an opportunity came along. I had um, released um, some workshops and done some work myself. And then I got the opportunity to do um, a PhD and the opportunity came from Cambridge University. And I thought, you know what, that's not going to come around very often. Again, and even though I felt I was the last person who should do a PhD, so I'm not very detailed, um, start everything, can't finish anything. Um, that is what I did, and I did finish it. <laughs> um, but when I read, you know, the 300-ish um, peer-reviewed papers written about meetings, again, I could not understand why they were almost exclusively about these very tactical things we're taught about meetings. So it was their agenda. Did it start and finish on time? Um, did everybody participate? I just felt like, you know, come again, sure, you know, we know so much more about the sophistication of ways of working. 
the human psyche at work, but we're still having these very mediocre meetings and saying if we could just start them on time and um, have a list of topics to cover, it would be okay. So that's how I got to where I am now. I And I now I use my PhD research, which took a systems approach and, and revealed completely different things from almost everything that had ever been written about meetings. Um, and um, and I use everything that we already know about culture and leadership and group psychology to describe a new way of doing meetings. So everyone can recognize what meetings work, makes meetings work, and everyone can spot it and learn it. You'd have thought with the number of meetings that we must have collectively had in the history of human civilization, we'd have got it right by now, wouldn't you? You would. <laughs> you would. <laughs> and actually, why is it so blooming hard? Well, I think. Meetings are steeped in um, in cultural history. So they come from this kind of, so originally, originally, originally in the Middle Ages, a meeting was actually the word for a duel. So it was a um, a physical fight to resolve an issue. But as society... Seven I mean, hundred... some meetings that I've had, yeah. maybe not far off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it may be something many of you recognise today, um, but it was actually part of the civilising of society where um, it was seen as a sort of a high class, high society to be able to debate with words. And that's where the meeting came from. And that I think that's never left us this this idea that, you know, if we can debate things with words extensively, that that is um very um, cerebral and it's a good thing to do and we also we have our kind of meeting format from the 60s movement around um, group therapy work um, it happens a lot in schools as well and so that kind of sitting around a table and discussing things and it's worn a really deep groove into organizational life and because meetings are a sort of public theater so if I'm running a meeting and you're all there, you're all watching me and you're my peers and I'm not I'm a little bit nervous about stepping too far out of what we've done before. They just seem to kind of perpetuate and habituate. That makes sense. It's. um, Yeah, we get sucked into meetings for meetings sake, I suppose, don't we? We do. And I guess I can I turn that question on you. So so of mm. all the meetings you've been and Vicky, you've been to what's what's wrong with meetings from your perspective yeah so so i everything <laughs> um well i'm hoping <laughs> yeah, now i'm going to learn we're going to learn some more at the amplified group but we do really try to have very productive meetings where everybody gets has a voice and we're, we're very clear on what we're trying to achieve in the meeting and we're making time for each other but i think that comes from the very conscious going to meetings where it's death by PowerPoint and the meetings mm. are just one leader after another getting up and broadcasting. And you think, we could have done this over Zoom. Why, why are we all in a room together? There's no discussion. It's just show and tell. Well, and I, I was going to say exactly the same thing. You know, the, the thing that I hated the most, and you know, I don't really do meetings these days, um, but the thing that I hated the most was exactly that kind of broadcast mode where you had someone come in and pitch you something on PowerPoint. And maybe it's because of the weird way my brain works, but I can read and digest that stuff faster than somebody can talk it. Um, send me the stuff beforehand. Let me learn about it. And then we can talk about it in a constructive manner between us afterwards. And we can have a 40-minute discussion rather than an hour and a half presentation. And everybody, everybody saves time and you probably get more done. And Vicky, you know, from our days of, of the VMware Partner Advisory Committee, I was constantly banging that drum, 
yeah, I don't want to listen to Americans coming over here and 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 pitching us a PowerPoint. I want to read that stuff. Oh, you nearly used a rude yeah. word there um, <laughs> beforehand, <laughs> and then and then we can actually talk about it and use that time productively. It just infuriated me. Yeah, from from VMware's point of view, in that scenario, the expense of flying all those people to a central place, and you know, hiring a nice hotel for two or three nights, and geez. Wow, we could have used that time so much more productively. Sometimes I thought. So, Sam, what you've what you've described is both the problem and the solution very neatly. So, you've described um, the solution of flipped meeting. So, when when we get this thing where people want to do a lot of presenting on PowerPoint, that comes. You know, this is why it's so important to understand the psychology sitting behind things. That comes from a, a place of trying to stay safe in the tribe. So. Um, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, um, staying in the tribe, being useful and valuable and safe in it was was crucial to staying alive. Now we stay safe in our tribe at work. So when people produce lots of PowerPoint um, and often they'll have spent um, five hours on a Sunday doing it, <laughs> um, not what they wanted to do, but because they want they don't want anyone to think that they haven't done enough work. They don't want there to be any questions that people have that they haven't prepared for the answer. And they want we, we have it's almost like the um, the weight of the PowerPoint as it thuds on the desk is mm. commensurate with the usefulness, the cleverness of the ideas within it. Um, it's it's a bit like that old wedding speech gag where the, you know, the father of the bride work, walks up and and thumps 500 pages of A4 on the desk and says, he's, you know, he's only going to talk for an hour and a half or something like that. Exactly. It's a bit like that with PowerPoint, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. And even though we know that and we've heard that joke, nevertheless, it's still really difficult to break out of that mm. and use a handful of slides. Um, so, but the problem, as you describe, is that when you present something, everybody else is following your pace. So people can't control their own pace of consumption. They are... Um, mm hearing it in analog alongside you and that's that's a inefficient it's poor use of this very high intensity activity we call a meeting where lots of people are committing 100% of their attention we hope to the to the session that they're doing together they're not doing anything or, or not as the case may be <laughs> they're not doing anything else that's useful or sorry what was that, what was that? <laughs> um and so the one answer to that is to have a flipped meeting. So exactly as you suggest, you ask people to share their presentation in whatever format that might be. That could be notes. It could be a series of five sets of bullets just to make it very quick to do. It could be a podcast. It could be a video. Everybody consumes that beforehand at their own pace, digging into things that they're interested in, doing a bit of Googling if they need to. And then the time, the high intensity time together is spent discussing the questions that people have brought with them or the issues mm. or concerns or the things that warrant that human interaction about what's uncertain what's complex here would that solve that, your, <laughs> your yeah absolutely you know that would have um you know if I, I think about my my time in soft care, and you know i don't think we did meetings badly right uh, you know i think i think we were pretty good at this stuff but if I think back to particularly vendor vendor presentations, you know, you'd have a new vendor come in and pitch you a new a new product or a new technology or a new service or whatever, and that to me is the perfect mm -hmm. candidate for the for the, for the, what you describe as the flip meeting. Um, 
because you've always got a time constraint. And if the pre-sales person doing the presentation witters on too much, you don't get time to ask any questions. And I want to ask questions because I want to, I want to stress test it because if we're going to take it to our customers, I want to know, I want, I want to have had all the questions answered that I know our customers are going to ask. Um, And so we need time and space to do that. And plus I just found found it, you're exactly right about the speed of input and the speed of consumption. And I know my brain works in a slightly odd way, but I would find it really frustrating if we were going at, at a slow pace. And that would be the point at which I'd sort of drift off and, you know, I'd start checking my emails under the desk or something like that because the the input wasn't fast enough to keep keep me engaged, and so that that would have made a huge difference. But even in board meetings, or, or maybe not so much board meetings, but our, our weekly operational directors meetings, you know, a, a director would report back on their particular area once a month or once every six weeks or whatever, and particularly with services utilization and things, that would be very statistics driven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thinking back, it would have been much more sensible to have sent those statistics around Mm. and anyone for whom, you know, they were particularly relevant to could have read it, you know, probably only 10 or 15 minutes worth of pre-work. And then you spend more of the time in the meeting, you know, discussing potential resolutions or potential red flags or whatever. It just it just makes so much sense. It's so logical. And there were were a few other things um, that... Uh, that sharing things beforehand really helps with so um so some people some people's brains work very fast they can they can chomp down a slide as you say far faster than somebody can present it Uh, for other people and and then that person's ready to to comment on it straight away for other people they really want to read something in advance they want to think about it and asking them to comment immediately on something that they've only just seen um, is not helpful for them. And actually, it, it can be quite shaming to ask them mm. to deliver work product, i.e. give their opinions or um, make make comments um, when they haven't had a chance to fully prepare that work product. And at, in the workplace, we know um, there is far more neurodiversity than we realise. So there'll be mm. many people in your organisations who um, aren't neurodiverse and that you don't know about. And there will be many people um, with who are neurodiverse who and they don't know. So they've had mm. no diagnosis. Um, many women in particular are having very late. I was going to say, does that affect women more than, you know, I know of several um, ladies of my acquaintance who are, mm. you know, lately diagnosed, interestingly, particularly ADHD, but also ASD. Yeah, I think we, I think we just don't know. Um, all, all we know is that that we are we are now much better at diagnosing people, male and female, who don't tick outwardly tick the boxes. We might think uh, women are particularly good at masking. Um, so they will be really good at learning what does and doesn't work in terms of responses, conduct, behavior, style. Um, so they themselves have kind of forgotten what their natural preferences are. Um, yeah. But if you are um, somewhere on the diversity, neurodiversity spectrum, it is usually much preferable to see things, to have a t- chance to look at it beforehand um, and to have a chance to formulate <clears throat> opinions and there are many people who many neurotypical people who who want this too and it just means you are neuro inclusive so why not mm. provide that option for everybody 
because one of the challenges is of meetings is inevitably we have to bring together many different styles and behaviors and people who love meetings and um, that's where they think best and that's where they build relationships and the world is very boring and dull without meetings and people whose natural preference is to be in a state of kind of deep work for much of the time and a meeting is a pure sacrifice and a pure interruption nevertheless all these different styles of people need to come together and form a pop-up team for the duration of a meeting. So let's find ways that that allow people to sort of self-accommodate, if that makes sense. That makes loads of sense to me, um, particularly with all the work that we do. So we use DISC to help with um, psychometric profiling simply because I am no doctor and I love the simplicity of it. And it's so memorable with the sales teams that we mainly work with. They can just get their head around it so easily. And then really what you were talking about, you know, those those of us that are happy to speak up immediately and then the ones that need need time to think and reflect very often because we we. Um, we do a lot of work around productive conflict and having positive debate or that people just end up being quiet. And it's not because they haven't got an opinion. They want to be asked it and understanding how, how those team dynamics work. Very often we call that workshop and a whole workshop because it really is. You can see the light bulb going off. It's, oh, that's why you're quiet. Or that's why you, you're competing with the mic- for the microphone. And yeah. having that self-awareness is a massive step in the right direction, isn't it? It is. It is. And I think as soon as you start to look at blue, red, green and yellow, it, it doesn't matter what the sort of we're not looking for a scientifically valid um, diagnosis. I'm using it, yeah. air, air, inverted commas. <laughs> we're looking for something that helps people understand more about themselves and each other. And as you say, it's enormously enlightening and helpful to say the reason that person is not very enthusiastic about the thing I'm really passionate about is because they are, for example, um, sitting in a blue space and they are somebody who's really, really detailed and they want to see all the facts and figures. And that's part of what makes them brilliant. And that's it's not about them thinking that what I'm doing is not brilliant. So it's a really. Yeah, powerful, yeah. Powerful. it stops. It stops it being personal from my perspective. It, it really takes that out of it. And then you can look at things and. And it, it it starts to create, I think what we're all starting to learn is so important, is that psychologically safe space to be able to have that discussion. And how do you create a psychologically safe space in, in, in real meetings, in the real world, in your real organisation? I think we, we've all learned the importance of being honest and open and, and that vulnerability that, I mean, we use, I think you're aware, we use the Patrick Lencioni methodology. And so having that vulnerability-based trust where you build those connections and you build those relationships and actually you provide that safe space by leading by example and showing actually it doesn't matter if you haven't got all the answers. So you say making it okay to say things like, I don't know, or um, I'm not sure yet, or... I need more information. Yes, absolutely. So it's when we when we kick off workshops and we talk about building trust, very often people are talking about or they're thinking about predictive trust. So I know that Carrie's going to behave like this because this is the way I've seen you behave in the past versus actually, no, trust is about creating that safe space where, to, to your point completely, you can ask for help, admit a mistake, 
and um, and admit that you don't have all the answers because I think if you can do that, then it opens the floor up to to. I think previously, and I think Sam, we've talked about this before. I was I was a bulldozer. I would bulldoze my way through, and if someone was quiet, I would just assume that they were on board. Very often, they 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 had lots of input that would have actually made the idea even better. But I wasn't stopping to wait for it because I was right. But I wasn't. What changed? Nothing. She still does that. (laughs) I put myself on mute. (laughs) No, I think it's, I think seriously, I think it's the self-awareness of realising it wasn't working. It it was, and I, I distinctly remember working with somebody who I just thought, didn't like me I was taking it personally and it wasn't that at all it was they were that detail person that wanted the facts in it because I was I would my role was as a change agent and I needed to drive change and I didn't I didn't need all the detail but other people did and I didn't understand that so having this awareness and actually understanding disc has helped me immensely and don't get me wrong as Sam says I'm still practicing (laughs) We're, we're all still practicing and I think this is the thing it's a lifelong journey isn't it in the same way that we don't look at leadership and say oh well, we just need to pin some um you know leadership values or something up in the reception area and yeah. work and um have a couple of, of formats of for one-to-one conversations you know being a good leader is a lifelong journey and it takes many different forms in different circumstances you know it's very situationally based and meetings is the same but we've just downgraded it downgraded mm. this sort of immense task of being you know brilliant at leading collaborative sessions which are very complex you know as soon as you start multiplying up the numbers of people in the session the dynamics between each of them you know it's a very it 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 um the number of interactions and dynamics multiplies up very quickly but we've downgraded that to running meetings or conducting meetings or having mm-hmm. an agenda it's even the language around it is is very tactical and 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 sometimes quite formal so can you um, share some best practices for us, maybe? Yeah, I'll just I'll rattle off six and then and then everyone will be great at meetings and that will be. Magic bullet time. Magic yeah, bullet, seriously, yeah. you know, there, there must there must yeah. be some things that are sort of universally welcomed. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I th- so so the way I think about it is rather than. Um, so if we think about all the stuff we learned from the industrial era style meetings, which is really what we're still in, um, where it so clearly the the most valuable thing, the valuable way to make money in the industrial era was to kind of rattle out um, identical products as quickly as possible with manual labor. So it was about command and control. Um, and that that meant that we did want people to do what we said in meetings and it was a lot about informing people and now in the knowledge era we need something completely different um and so I think we need better understanding um and we need better technique so I there are six areas I think it's helpful to look at and we we don't need to go through all of those today um I think the first thing we need to do is break out of meeting gridlock and burnout so I think for as long as people are in a lot of back-to-back meetings, they're spending a high proportion of their time in meetings. Um, they haven't got enough time to do their deep work, their kind of own work. Um, I think it's very difficult to start making big changes to to meetings. So I think 
any changes to meetings go hand in hand with breaking out of um, that high free high meeting high meeting load. And we can talk about some of those later if you want to. Um, <clears throat> I think we need to stop thinking about meetings as things that we run and call and um, conduct, but about a session that we design and that we have to engage people in. Um, and though that sounds exhausting, <laughs> can't I just put it in the diary and everybody will come and we'll just talk about it. Uh, a bit of thought into what it is that you're trying to achieve and what the backdrop is. So is this um, it's bringing people together where there are some tensions? How do we handle that? Are we are we winning our team at the moment or are we losing? We need to start winning again. Um, are we just starting something? Are we just finishing something? Are we in a period of very high uncertainty where we're trying to figure out product market fit? Or are we, is this about kind of churning things out? So a bit of thought about what the setting is and some design work and then a bit of pre-engagement with people. So you could think of it like a social contract. That's partly why things can go wrong in meetings, because people arrive with completely different ideas about what they're supposed to be doing or no idea. Like, I don't know why I'm here, or what, what we're going to do. Um, and suddenly you've got a sort of broken social contract. And that's where you get people going into defensive mode or quiet mode or talking over each other or resisting. So that whole piece is around designing and engaging people and creating a social contract. And you can do that with a really, really good meeting invite. Um, and I have a template for that on the website, which I'll, I've shared the link with you. It's fewerfasterbolder.com. So as, as always, I'm sure we'll stick that in the show notes for everybody. Show notes, perfect. Yeah. Um, then just moving on to a couple, couple of others that I think are really helpful. One is encouraging only clean communication. Vicky, you talked about how you generate psychological safety and encourage, create the conditions for people to feel they can be honest, because as we know, uh, bad news is good news if we know it soon enough. So we need people to say, give their bad news early. Um, I, I use clean communication to do that. So that's in modelling, speaking with high honesty, high respect for people in the room and with high care for the work. So if you bring all those three things together, then you are able to get to the heart of what matters so that we can talk about what's really going on, not that surface level thing where we talk about some numbers on a spreadsheet um, or we kind of give status updates or we kind of talk around something. But we can do that without putting others, triggering others into tribal mode where they are defensive or wanting to take control of the situation or um, uh, or, or uh, stand back and not say anything. So there are various ways you, you can do that. Um, and one of the ways you can do that is to use some element of structuring. So I think we've mentioned the flipped meeting. Um, so rather than just arriving and the, here's what we're going to talk about, let's just start talking. Instead, you, you we talked about having a sort of more, a bit of scaffolding. So people having some content beforehand, then um, a, and, and a bit of an indication of what they're expected to do with it during it. So um, here, here are six videos for you, short videos for you to watch beforehand. And please come to the session ready to ask your top three questions, 
um, share anything that's concerning you, um, share three things that were exciting you. So you're immediately teeing up the really valuable group work for people making that easy to consume. And that's just a structure. It's just a a light set of rules, again, in inverted commas, that allow everybody to play the game a bit bit better and a bit faster. And that works really well if you're also trying to equalise voices. So if you have some people who always speak a lot and other people who find it very difficult to, then putting a little bit of a structure in um, can often allow give everybody equal um, an equal format in which to contribute. So what that's really just made me think because we use something with many of our clients called a meeting checklist, which is did everybody have a voice? Has everybody contributed? Are you clear with the outcomes? What I've just realised from listening to you there is we're missing the bit of setting the meeting up for success in the first place. Yeah, it's and it's such well, it it's such an easily overlooked area, and I think it's such a brilliant bit of white space. It's free; it doesn't take very long to write a, an invitation. Yeah. It it doesn't need to be long, but if it has some really key ingredients in it, suddenly everybody arrives with this kind of shared brain they've all got the same picture yeah. in their head the other thing it does is it encourages people to, to self-moderate and to moderate each other so rather than you as the host saying well this is what we're doing today and this is what we're going to do so oh I'm just going to stop you there people start to self-moderate oh yeah we're not talking about that today that's something we said we wouldn't do today or they might just say to somebody else um oh I um I can hear that that's a really important thing but I think that's um that's that's on a parallel track or whatever good language they might use but you you're then encouraging the group to moderate rather than you being the referee yeah, yeah. So, well, sometimes also- people have their own agendas and they'll put those agendas forward whatever meeting they're in whether or not it's relevant yeah <laughs> we, even, yeah yeah so even um even if you've done a really fantastic job of setting it up with a with a great invitation, when I say invitation, that's a whole process by which you might talk to some people before the meeting. So one opportunity is before the meeting, if you know somebody's going to bring their agenda, then you could talk to them and you could say, this is what we're thinking of um, covering. Um, what's your perspective? What do you think we should be talking? So you, you can kind of pre-negotiate that bit of the social contract beforehand. And Again, these are things that we often do naturally. It's just doing them a little bit more deliberately and knowing when to use them. What would you so what would you do in the meeting, Sam, if despite all that, somebody did want to push their own agenda? Keep them out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um I mean it, it rather depends on how close it is to the topic that we're working on, I suppose. If it's something that's at least tangentially relevant then you know we might give it a small amount of airtime and then say right you know we need to take this off as a as a separate uh separate thread if it's something that's really not not entirely relevant at all to what we're doing and what we're trying to get i would just you know if, if i were hosting i would be reasonably forceful in asking them to set it aside for a future discussion because it's it's really important you know it, it's it's the the 
the collective is more important than the individual. So if one individual has a you know, a point that they're particularly passionate about, that's great. And it you know may well be something that we need to adjust, or uh, sorry, address. Um, but equally, you might have the time of four, five, six other people in that room for whom that topic just is not relevant. So it's you have to be, I think, pretty forceful in in keeping the meeting on track in that sort of scenario. So I, th- I think you can handle it in different ways. And one absolutely is to say, this is what we said we'd cover um, with and, and doing so with great respect. So I really understand why you want want us to talk about this, but it but it is another meeting. Um, so that would be one way to be really clear and and you would need to judge when when to do that um, and, and to kind of chop it, chop it out. You're, you're, you're clear is my forceful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess. What is forceful? <laughs> forceful is, is is doing something whether everybody likes it or not. I think acting, creating clarity, because that's what you've been asked to do. That's what your role in the group is. Yeah. Yeah. Is is a pro-social behaviour. Um, I like it that you're owning forceful. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I'm not. I'm not thinking of forceful on my own behalf. I'm yes, thinking of exactly. being forceful on, on, on behalf of the group as the yes. as the custodian of the direction of travel. And also, sorry, I was just going to say um, one of the things that that I know you're really passionate about, Carrie, and the way you talk about meetings is it's it's other people's precious non-refundable time Mm. and that that almost is the the right to keep it on track yeah yeah so and and if if we just flick our minds back to clean communication high honesty um high respect and high care for the task and that's exactly what you just said Sam was um was in in service of what the group are trying to do so I think that that absolutely gives you permission to be clear. I think the other side to it is when people are really um, insistent on covering something, and sometimes it's a t- it's something that's off topic, or sometimes it's a perspective on something that is absolutely what's being discussed, but they have a different perspective to other people, and they will not let that let that go. <laughs> um, and I guess what happens a lot in meetings is we're getting our needs. We're trying to find a way to get our needs met. We do this at home with our family, our partners, our pets. We do it um, at work. Um, we do it at lunchtime and we do it in meetings. So one way is to say that needs not getting met right now <laughs> in whatever clever clean communication format we used to do it another is to is to kind of reflect and say what what is it that this person what is it that they can see that we can't see what is it that they um feel is not being heard or not being understood and a bit like with children if you if every time your child falls over or hurts themselves you say you're fine you're fine you're fine you're fine you're fine then they never learn to self regulate they just they learn to shut off that voice that says am I okay or not and I think if um and if but if you say oh that looked painful are you okay and they think "Mm, yeah I'm okay (laughs) or I'm not okay then so I think some something to allow five minutes four minutes three minutes in a meeting to ask somebody what is it about that so you've mentioned that lots of times now it feels like you've got a different view from other people in the room am I right am I it what is it you can hear that we can't hear? What is it you feel we're not understanding? And what would it 
what would you need to feel satisfied that we were handling this? So, so there's some, there might be something in that data. And I guess that's the difference between thinking, oh, some people are just like that in meetings versus yeah. everybody's got mm. some data and trying to separate out the fronds and say, okay, that bit is just them. <laughs> there's some ego going on. There's some status. There's some something that this bit is useful. So let's take what's useful and then let's facilitate our way through the bit where somebody's just trying to kind of act out a need in an unhelpful way. Does I that have, make any sense? <laughs> it absolutely makes sense. What is your view on a regular weekly team meeting? So is it, should we have an, is it worth it? Should yes. It yeah. Um, so all teams function best off high trust, high information, high collaboration. So team meeting is one way to do all of those things. You model collaboration, you hear important information that you you that might pass you by otherwise, and you have a chance to um to bond, develop trust, and so on. So so fundamentally it's a good thing. Are they well run? Some are, many aren't. Do you need them every single I was just saying a, a quality team meeting is a, a quality good thing. Team yeah, meeting. Yeah, yeah. 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 So so I think they and I think meetings are these regular meetings, they are a constant adjustment process. So the idea that you put something in the diary and, and have a format and okay, we're set for the next year. I just don't think that's helpful in the same way that you wouldn't have exactly the same conversation over lunch every every week. So I think for as long as that meeting's serving people and they feel like this is absolutely fantastic. Um, I get so much out of it. It's a real highlight for the week. Brilliant. But it will it presumably will fatigue over time, either the format or the requirement to have it every single week. Um, So then that's an opportunity to relook at how it's being done and then to decide, might we have it every other week or every four weeks and then have some asynchronous chat in between? And I guess the other side of it is and meetings never in my research so clearly meetings do not sit in a vacuum between nine o'clock and 10 o'clock in the morning they are deeply embedded in everything else so if for example your team already have daily stand-ups or they're constantly they sit together they're co-located or they are on asynchronous chat all the time to then have a team meeting as well for another hour plus yes um, that it might just not be needed so I think meetings are one element of a network or a sort of ecosystem of how we communicate how we keep work safe etc so does that give you a bit of food food for thought it it, it certainly does but what we're also seeing is now in this post-pandemic world how many of us are working remotely and we're starting to get a sense that people are feeling more disconnected than ever and yet they don't really want to go back into the office yeah <laughs> yeah and I don't think yeah, I have an um, answer to that um, yeah where, where do you sit on that Sam? well I guess you know a lot of the teams that I was involved in at Softcap you know whether directly managing or being the director responsible for were, were quite distributed because they were often consultants who were out on the road or yeah. you know, pre-sales guys or specialist sales teams who were you know out in front of customers and spread around the offices and that sort of thing so I think I was an advocate of less frequent but better quality contact. So for me, the regular routine team meeting at 
10 a.m. on a Tuesday for argument's sake, wasn't ever so useful and could rapidly lead to disengagement through meetings for meetings sake and you know not having anything necessarily to talk about for me the team meeting was about building that sort of social connection almost yeah that that personal connection between people within the team rather than necessarily the the dissemination of uh, you know the the flow down meeting where you know it's discussed at the top and then that's flowed down to the next tier of manager and the next tier and the next tier. Um, it's I'm not sure that's ever so helpful necessarily. Um, you know, that, that kind of dissemination of information is particularly with a distributed team and you know, in the, in the scenario where we're frequently more remote, that kind of thing can go across by email. The stuff that is more important is the time to, genuinely bond a team together through shared experiences or you know, I'm not just talking about going get, going out and getting pissed um <laughs> you know, genuinely do, you know doing something that creates that that cohesion is probably a, a, a good word and the you know the clarity of communication and the dissemination dissemination of information is almost more of a one-to-one um does that make any sense that's a really really waffly kind of vague sort of answer but that, that was closer to my kind of way of of doing things perhaps I think it's back to um back to flipped meeting so providing people with the information beforehand and then using that team session to say what does that mean for us what questions would we have what decisions would we need to make who would we need to talk to so using as you say not using team meetings as a cascade method um although yeah. I do think if there's something really really mission critical or or very sensitive that is well handled mm. in a meeting yeah 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 in terms of and in terms of bonding and building trust team meeting is one way but only if supplemented with lots of other ways so things like i really like a, a linkers and a thinkers program or some people call it coffee roulette where every week you have a half hour coffee with somebody different oh yeah donut is is another app i think right that's... yeah yeah yeah, that matches people together, and often that. And if you, again, if you set a few, like you, you can just let people have a have a chat, or you could set a very light agenda for it, like um, uh, one person in the linkers and thinkers. One person's the linker. Um, they do they do all the kind of setting it up and putting it in the diary, um, and the other person is the thinker, so they get to bring something they're interested in talking about. Um, and they may or may not end up talking about it, but it's a little bit more purposeful than just, oh, let's have a, let's just have a coffee and a, and a, and a catch up. Um, and I think those one-to-one relationships really bolster people and create psychological safety in a group. Yes. Setting. Yes. Because you can't read what everybody else is thinking in a group. No, setting. that's a really, really good point. Because best practices for what we're talking about mm. here. Um, a client that we've been working with for three years now, which is Opta Customer Success. And they do everything that you've just talked about there. But they also have these connections where everybody knows everybody else in the team. Yes. And that makes such a difference for when they're in a meeting together. Yes, yes. yeah. And it, it's all these foundational elements. So another thing I like is to do, to have a sort of internal team podcast so every week, um, just very short, 15 minutes, somebody interviews somebody else, that file is shared and people can listen to it while they're commuting or um, yeah, travelling somewhere. And you just get a chance to get to know 
somebody a little bit more. And it's a bit quicker than doing a newsletter where somebody's got to do the interview and then write it all up. And a newsletter is a little bit heavyweight for one team. Mm. Uh, yeah. But but some kind of podcast season. Listening is, yeah, it's, it's it seems to be such a medium now for, yeah. for people to to learn new things. I mean, yeah. the uptake of audiobooks, et cetera, has really, really caught on, hasn't it? It's it's very powerful. Yeah, I heard yeah. um somebody who has a very successful podcast, um, he said to me that he thought podcasting was as as revolutionary as as the printing press in terms of allowing any you know, liberating anybody to produce yeah. long form content that anyone in the world can listen to and yeah. that the impact on ideas and dissemination of of new technology was would be revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So as we come to the end of this episode, it's been fascinating so far. Perhaps you could give us, Carrie, uh, three key takeaways for our listeners. Wow, so many to to choose from. Um, but let's let's take these three. So firstly, I think make a social contract. So what is in people's heads that isn't written down that is setting them up for a different expectation? Actually, can we do the can we do the three tips? Because I'll make I'll frame it positively. Sorry, I'll make it crisper. Perfect. So first, make a social contract. Set the same expectation. Set the same scope. Set the same um, indication of what kind of behaviour is going to be helpful in everybody's mind, so that everyone comes with ego dulled down, ready to contribute, feeling safe and on the same page right from the first minute. That's the first thing. Um, Get people to contribute as early and as equally as possible using a light structure, something like rounds where everybody answers a question in turn at the very beginning so that you're modelling everybody's voice matters. We will hear from everybody and we'll use some sensible ways to speed up the process of hearing from everybody. And then the third thing which we haven't actually talked about so far is what do you do with everything at the end? (laughs) And part of my approach is to capture outcomes on a shared canvas together. So on on a a document that's on screen, on a shared um, uh, Microsoft Exchange document or a Google Doc, whatever it is, or a whiteboard. But rather than just everybody taking their own notes, produce a set of notes together under headings like decided, what decisions have we made? Um, Next, what actions are we going to take? Comms, who do we need to talk to about what we've decided today? And you might have a car park. So what what came up today that was important, but is for another meeting? And that um, single capture can be shared with lots of other people. So instantly your notes for the meeting are already made. But you can send that to other teams to help them just be able to eyeball it and see what happened in that session. Brilliant. Thank you. I feel like I've learned so much and so much of this just makes sense. But we don't. It's that um, subconscious to the conscious, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's all crazily logical. Yes. But we just get on with doing meetings the way we've always done meetings yeah. because that's that's how we've always done meetings. Yeah, it is. Or we've learned how badly others go and mm. what 
do about it. And we've muddled through. So this is so helpful, Carrie. Thank you. Um, I have a feeling that you have some additional information or um, courses that that our listeners could potentially look at. I do. So if 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 all this sounded interesting and you wanted to um, really get under the bonnet and be able to use the whole toolkit um, of which we've just sort of scratched the surface today, really, then I do have an e-course. It's with testers at the moment and public release for the first cohort is 31st of January. And you can pre-order it um, on my website at the moment. And I think, Vicky, you'll put the link in the, the show. Yeah, I'm signing up. Wonderful. <laughs> and I'll provide, um, I'll give you a, a discount code as well for any any listeners. Super. Thank oh, you very much. Lovely. Excellent. That's really good. And and lastly, before you we, we let you go, presumably to head off to a meeting, um, perhaps you would be so kind as to give us your uh, favourite book recommendation. So this would be Nancy Klein, Time to Think. And it sounds like a book about thinking, but it's a book about listening. So it describes listening as a radical act, something I think we could massively, massively utilise in meetings. And the idea is that the quality of our listening improves the quality of others thinking. And sorry, what, what, what was that? He's being funny. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, you know, all the way through this, I love that you've said this because all the way through this, I've, it's been making me thinking about listening. Isn't that interesting? That, yeah, actually, in between moving from Citrix to VMware, I actually put listening on my CV. And my other half looked at it and went, everybody listens. And I said, oh, no, they don't. <laughs> yeah. And I'm Poor still John. working at it, even, even more so now. But everything that you've talked about, if we're not doing active listening what's the point of other people speaking exactly exactly and yeah. I think we're in this thing where we're thinking competitors with each other in meetings and yeah. actually we need to be um thinking peers we're in this together yeah yeah we're in this together what are we trying to achieve together wonderful um I just found that so valuable thank you very much Sam do you want to just wrap this up yeah no absolutely yeah I'll wrap it up for now because I think we we definitely need uh, to have you back on the show again at some point in the future um, I just thought that was brilliant, really interesting stuff and really useful, practically applicable stuff that yes. can make a difference with really quickly. So thank you for that. Really enjoyed that. Just remains for me to say thank you for listening to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group, hopefully active listening. Um, as always, your comments and subscriptions are gratefully received. Mm-hmm.